The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. One of the things Mike and I are tight on, we try to be very careful about the words of the songs we choose so that they're theologically accurate. So I smiled to myself when we sang, You Never Stop Working, on a Sunday that I'm about to preach about the day that God stopped working. So this morning, our journey, our journey in the book of beginnings, our journey through the book of Genesis, we are in week four, and we're at the beginning of chapter two. However, I'm often reminded we need to remember that um, when you get a commentary, it's what God has said to someone through his word and through their knowledge and through their understanding. And so you're getting it second hand. When you listen to a sermon, you're getting it second hand. When you open the scriptures for yourself and invite the Holy Spirit to speak, you get it first hand. Because the Spirit, the, the, it's, not a, it's not a dead book. It's a living and active word. And um, the same thing happened when they kind of divided up the, the Bible into chapters and verses. They put a whole lot of breaks in where the, the person sort of breaking it down kind of figured that's the best place to, to draw the line before we start the next chapter. But when God gave us his word, he didn't have the chapter. They're in, the chapter and verse markings are less than a thousand years old. And so when we read a verse and we go, we're at the beginning of the second chapter, sometimes it's helpful to get a context from the previous chapter. So I'm actually going to go back to what we looked at uh, last week. Oops, see if we can get that to... Now if I turn this on, that'll help, won't it? There we go, half asleep. There we go. So we're going back to where we finished off last week, a few of the verses out of there. So God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all of their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work that he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. It seems to me that at the very point that God rests is the point that we begin to wrestle because we want to nail down this thing about what this means for us, what this day of rest means. The... the, the uh, the debates over the years about the Sabbath are so multitudinous. My, my, my favourite one was um, a number of years ago now, Samoa used to sit across the other side of the, the date line from New Zealand and so they were a, a day behind New Zealand. And they decided because of our close connection between Samoa and New Zealand that we should be on the same side of the date line so they can... Uh, it's only an artificial line, so they had it redrawn, and so Samoa now sits in the same time zone. The problem being is then there was a major 
debate in the Seventh-day Adventists in Samoa as to which day was now the Sabbath. Was it still the Saturday or was it seven days after the previous Sabbath? See, that's the problem when we try to nail things down in a legalistic way and we kind of miss the heart of the Scriptures. And I'm not, certainly not this morning going to offer any sort of comprehensive understanding of the Sabbath because it's such an extensive um, concept. And, but I want to lay, share some things that God's been laying on my heart and my greatest prayer is that it would prompt you to give some thought not only to what it means, but what it means for you. Not what I say, but what the scriptures say. The first mention, well, when we think of the Sabbath, we often think from Exodus 20, where we've got the, um, the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. And, and in Exodus 20 we read, Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. When I was growing up, one of the things my dad used to say to me is this, two problems. Some people don't want to work the six days, and some people don't want to work, rest on the seventh. So we've got to get those two together. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Sounds simple. Sounds fair. Sounds appealing. And then we duck down a few verses to verse 12. And then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Anyone who desecrates the Sabbath will be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. It's like we're making sure we get that point. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. That's pretty serious, eh? If you violate the Sabbath, you'll be cut off from community or you'll be put to death. No wonder this command was taken so incredibly seriously by the Pharisees and religious leaders at the time of Jesus. But Jesus also had some interesting things to say about the Sabbath. And in Luke, in Luke 6, on one Sabbath, he, uh, Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields and his disciples are picking the ears of grain and they're rubbing them in their hands and they're eating them. And the religious leaders go, how do you allow your disciples to violate the Sabbath? And Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Two very powerful statements. 
The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't designed to take something from us. It wasn't designed to, to restrict us, to hold us back. It was designed for our benefit. And the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is not subject to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is subject to Jesus. The Sabbath serves man, male and female, and the Sabbath serves God. The Sabbath may have been enshrined in the law. It may have even been given a special role within the law as a sign, as a sign of a lasting covenant within the law. But the Sabbath is not ultimately subject to the law. It is subject to God. And as we, if we want to understand the Sabbath apart from the law, we need to look at the Sabbath before the law. So you have this period of time where, where, where the law comes into being and then you have the New Testament. But sometimes if you want to understand God's ideal, you don't look at what is, you look at what was and you look at what will be. And so you look back to creation and say, how did God create it? And then you look forward to heaven as we looked at the other day. You know, we don't need a sun and a moon because God will be its light in heaven. So you see what the ideal is, what God's plan is, by looking at the beginning of the story and at the end. So if you go back a little bit earlier, in fact, you go back at, at the point that the Israelites have come to Mount Sinai, they are three months out of Egypt. Go back six weeks. They have been out of Egypt now for six weeks. And the children of Israel are in a desert. See, uh, in the desert, it's Exodus 16 if you want to look it up later. And the children of Israel are moaning because the food's run out and they're hungry. And they're saying, God, why did you bring us out to this place to let us die? So God promises food. He's going to send them quail each night and manna every morning. And the manna would come down as a layer like dew. And as the, the moisture evaporated, it would leave this thin wafer like bread. And we're told that it was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey which doesn't sound too bad until six weeks of eating manna and it starts to wear a bit thin on the children of Israel. But for a start it was good. And the provision arrived every day except the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, or the day before the Sabbath, they were to collect twice as much. So on every day they were told how much they could collect, so much per day per person, enough for that day. But on the day before the Sabbath there was a double portion, they would collect twice as much, so that they had enough for the Sabbath because they weren't able to collect it on the Sabbath. Some people, unusually, some people don't listen. So they go out and they decide they want to have a day off tomorrow and it's not the Sabbath, but they're going to have a day off tomorrow anyway. So they collect twice as much to save going out the next day. And when they get up in the morning, their lovely fresh manna that used to taste like honey is now has a stench and it's rotting and it's filled with maggots. But that doesn't happen to the manna that they collect in preparation for the Sabbath. There is something very natural about our need for rest, which the Sabbath brings. But there is something very supernatural about the manna. 
something very supernatural about God's provision and about the Sabbath, even before it became part of the law. So the law specified how the Sabbath related for the Jews under the law. But the Sabbath existed before that. One assumes it probably goes back, I'm sure God told Adam and Eve in the garden about the Sabbath. Every seventh day, this I, I've created the world in, seven, in six days, rested on seventh, you've got to rest every seven days. So I'm sure that was well established by that point, but the first mention is it is in the story. So hold that thought about the, the manna, fresh each day except the day before the Sabbath, you can collect twice as much, and on the Sabbath, what you collected the day before, that's the only day that it lasts overnight and feeds you for another day. So let's go back to Genesis 2 for a moment. As we looked through, we saw that God created the light on day one, and he said it was good. Day two he did some stuff, but he didn't say anything about it being good, so we'll Clip to day three, and he created the lands and the seas, which he said were good. And he created the plants and the trees, which he said were good. On day four, he made the sun and the moon and the stars, and he said, they're good. Day five, he made the birds and the fish, and he said they were good, and he blessed them. Day six, he made the livestock and the wild animals, and he said, that's good. And then the same day, he made mankind and he finished creation and he looked at it all, he blessed them and he looked at it all and said, actually, it's very good. It's very good. But now on the seventh day as God rests, God blesses the day. And he doesn't say it's good. He doesn't say it's very good. He says it's holy. It is a day set apart. Under the law for the Jews it would become a very special command, it would become a very special sign but here and now the seventh day, the Sabbath at creation for all creation and for all time it was blessed and declared by the Holy Spirit to be set apart. Not in the way it was under the law but just simply set apart. But for who? Well, Jesus said for who? For us. God made it holy and set it apart because the Sabbath was made for man. It was there to serve us, not for us to serve it, which has tended to be what happened by the time the Pharisees came around. The Sabbath was made for us, to serve us. It wasn't made for God. See, even when we don't see it, he's working. God, the, the, the God of Israel never slumbers nor sleeps, the psalmist says. He didn't need a rest because it had been a hard week. He rested because he knew that he needed to set an example for us. He needed to create a model for us because if the God who created the heavens and the earth needs to take time out, at the end of creation. How much more do we as creation? See, God remembers. He remembers how we were formed. He remembers that we are dust. And he says, be still and know that I am God. How often do we forget 
that we are dust. How often do we forget that he is God? But the Sabbath is not just a day of rest. It's not just a, a downtime in preparation for another busy week. One commentator says that the Sabbath was not merely a day to recharge one's batteries. It was a day that the rest of the week could not survive without. It not only marked the end of creation, it marked a creation complete and sustainable. After six days of creating, of working, the doing, there is an opportunity to stop, to recover, but it's more than that. For us at this point in the creative narrative, our work has been defined. Our work was to be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Our work has been defined at this point in time. For six days we are to be busy ruling over creation. That's our job. Now you can unpack it throughout the scriptures in a whole bunch of different ways and what that means and what it looks like for you and what that looks like for you and what that looks like for me. But for six days, that's what we're to be doing. But the seventh day was blessed. It was set apart for us to rest and for us to remember that ultimately we are not in charge. Ultimately God is in charge. See, if it was all about us, we could just keep going thinking that we are ruling each and every day. But when we stop on the seventh day, we remember that it's not actually about us. We remember that God is the one who is in control. Another commentator says that true rest is truly giving up control, handing over one day a week to remember that even the other six days aren't truly ours. The seventh day signifies a time for humans to relinquish their place at the helm of our lives and to pay homage to the seventh day of creation when the creator of the universe himself rested. We talk about the trouble our world's in because we've forgotten who's in charge. We think we're in charge. We think we are in control. And look what the world's like when we try to be in control. No wonder we struggle to keep a Sabbath. We have so much to do. There's so much to be done. We must keep going. And just a little confession. I have to speak this to myself as much as to anyone. But God says you don't need to keep going. You've got a job to do. You are to go forth and multiply. You are to rule over creation, but you're not in this alone. Because see, one day a week you're going to stop and you're going to remember the one who is in control. You're going to remember that I am your provider. Think back to the example of the manna. God made the people work for it. It didn't land outside their tent. It landed outside the camp. They had to go out and get it every day, enough for the day. But on the day that they were to rest, God provided enough and he kept what he had given them. We can work every day that God has given us. 
But in remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy and setting it apart, we remember that God is both our provider and the preserver of what we have. I want to draw another parallel. If we go to the book of Malachi, God has been challenging the nation of Israel. And he's actually quite blunt. He says, you have been robbing me. He says, you have been robbing me. And they go, how have we been robbing you, God? He says, you've been robbing me in tithes and offerings. You have not been bringing me what is due. And I can hear God going, and you've been doing the same with the Sabbath. I told you to give the Sabbath every seven days. You're to give, you're to take the Sabbath. And if you're not doing it, you're robbing God. And so Malachi, God says, Bring the whole tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room for you to store it. Get that? This is about, I will throw open the floodgate and give you so much provision that you will not have room to store. I am your provider. And then he says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. In other words, not only will I give you more than you can cope with, but what I give you, I will preserve. See, one of the problems when we talk, and there's a, there's a study series on financial freedom. If you want me to find it for you, you can find it for you after, you can have a look through it. But it talks about the two things we have problems with. One is learning to receive, and the other is learning to hold on to what we've got. When God provides, it's not enough if we waste half of it. So the tithes was to be the first portion, the first fruits of their income. Not the leftovers, but the first portion. Why? Because when I give the first portion, when I give the first fruits of my harvest, that's an incredible act of faith, knowing that God has provided, and if I believe he's provided, then I'm prepared to give that to him because I know he will continue to provide. If I give God the leftovers, I'm not trusting his provision. But when I give him the first portion, I am placing my trust in him. The same holds true with regard our time. In remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy, set apart, we are again acknowledging that he is the rightful king. He is our provider. He is our protector and preserver. The provision of the seventh day to rest has a natural benefit, but it also has a supernatural benefit. Again, we come back to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. He says, don't worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Anyone doesn't have that experience? Sure. We have to work. But ultimately, even when we work, he is our provider. He gives us the skills and the abilities. He's given us the time. He's given us the life to live and to serve. He remains our protector. 
when we honour him with our tithe and with our time, when we honour him with our Sabbath, both are very practical and tangible ways in which we affirm our belief that he is our provider. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. It's easy to say it. But what about when he gives it to you and then there's someone there with need and you go, oh, but I need this. You actually need to say, well, God, did you give this bread for me or did you give this bread for me to give away? And if God says, I gave it to you, give away, that's fine. Because if God's my provider, he's got lots more bread. And so our seventh day, our Sabbath rest, is not a slavish obedience as it was under the law. I was reading that they unpacked it over time. The rabbis would unpack it. There were 39 different definitions given to work. And then there was unpack that further into defining little things that were work. And so you couldn't, the one that amused me, you couldn't drag a stick through the dust. You know the kids like to get a stick and walk down the beach dragging it? Because that might, if you're not careful, that might be ploughing. And that would be work, which on the Sabbath is not good. I remember growing up, my Talking about the 91-year-old learning to knit, my mum was always knitting, and that's one thing she's lost the ability to do now because her eyesight is not as good as it used to be. But my, uh, we had the Salvation Army officer's daughter, was a good friend of my sister, and she came to visit one Sunday afternoon to spend the afternoon, and she was absolutely horrified to discover that my mother was knitting on a Sunday. How slavish we can become to the Sabbath and forget that it's actually all about resting in God, knowing that he is the one who is our provider and protector. It's not a slavish obedience, it's a faithful, loving embrace of the promises, of the faithfulness of, of the one who embraces us. If I can't set aside time each week for God, then I'm not trusting him with my life. The seventh day, our rest, is an opportunity to take our eyes off the things we have and the things we want and the things we do. While they have meaning and our Father knows that we need them, far more important is what, than what we have or what we do are whose we are and who we are. And we are children of the King. And it's not about a specific day. You see, in the Old Testament, it was about the tithe. Giving the tithe. In the New Testament, you actually move away from that. Because the tithe can be very legalistic. And in the New Testament, it's like everything belongs to God. So my dad taught me it's not about what I do with my tithe. He taught me it's what I do with the other 90%. The tithe isn't even mine, he said. The tithe belongs to God. It's the 90% that he says I can keep. What will I do with that? And so the Sabbath doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God, so I honour God with that. But that doesn't mean the rest of the time is mine. It's all his. In Romans, the Apostle Paul says, one person considers one day more sacred than the other. And another considers every day alike. 
Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. For none of us lives to ourselves alone and none of us dies to ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. All that we have, all that we are, that's our money and our time. And you know that money is only time because we swap our time for money, don't we? It all belongs to God. And it all must come under his lordship. The Sabbath was made for man. It is for us, but it's not about us. It's all about him, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That we would live to give him glory. He has given us time. He has given us money. And if we spend it on ourselves, he says we reap what we sow. And Lisa reminded us. He's given us to be generous to others. To invest in not getting the best for ourselves, but in getting the best for his kingdom, his will, his kingdom, his righteousness. May we live each day for him and for his glory with all that we have. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.